to Southern Sisters Radio, the show for Southern women and the men who adore them. Join us as we celebrate life from a Southern point of view. Here's your host, author, founder of Southern Sisters Home, and true Southern sister, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Everybody and welcome to the Southern Sisters Radio Program. Yes, I'm Jenny McCormick Earhart, and I am telling you what I'm really doing this week is celebrating autumn in the South. I don't know if you guys are as excited as I am about the cooling temperatures. You know, uh, honestly, well, Nick, you know, we talked about it last week, autumn. Yes, um, and it's kind of been flirting with us. You know what it's, I'm saying? Yeah, it's like it's 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 just Flirt. a little too hot in the yeah. middle of the day to be fall quite yet. Right. But there's that chill in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. But then it heats up in the middle of the day. And you get you know a couple of days. What last week we were pushing high 80s, and I'm like, yeah. no, no, no. 87's not. That's fall. that's not fall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my boots are waiting to be worn, and I want to put them on so badly. But it's just you know if you if you dress for autumn when it's cool in the morning, you know by about one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon, you're sweating. You're miserable. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're stripping down. It's just not it's not quite there. But I think we might actually finally be getting there and uh, I couldn't be happier about it uh, we've talked about how much we love heat in the south but boy we love these cooler uh, just kind of wonderful fall temperatures that we're having this week and I'm loving it and of course with any change in temperature it always comes down to what are we eating this week yeah now the temperatures are changing we've talked a lot about that last week you know state fair food mm. which is a seasonal kind of favorite I know at my house it is mm. uh, like just about everything gosh I was hungry when I left the studio <laughs> last week I was I told my husband I said, we are getting a caramel apple I don't care what fair we have to leave the state to get one i'm going to go find a really good state fair caramel apple but um anyway things have been good this week i was talking to my daughter for those of you that know me i've got four children uh you know i call them children because they're my children they're not young anymore they're they're all older and doing grown-up things now you know grown-up things well like getting married oh yeah that's a yeah that's you a know, big one right <laughs> going to college one. graduating from college yeah you know it's so exciting though. oh well, i bumped uh, the second one off last week off my uh cell phone bill because she's married now so she and her husband have their own yeah. cell phone. that's the upside <laughs> 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 as much as i hate that they're moving off and moving away but they're starting to come off my bills <laughs> you know? all of a sudden you're like wow i've got a lot of extra money in the bank <laughs> it's account so this nice month. <laughs> it is so 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 nice but my oldest daughter lives in lives and works in Washington DC with her husband and they um you know she's a Georgia girl he's a Georgia boy oh. in in fact she's sort of a, a north georgia maybe a little bit slightly more cosmopolitan girl He's a good South Georgia boy, Uh, right? Yes. And they are both very active and work in politics in in D.C. And uh, it's interesting to hear her perspective on the sort of that Washington, D.C. culture and how things are different up there than they are down here. You Mm. could make the argument that it's still kind of part of the South, being south of Mason Dixon line, but really, it's sort of a little, its own little microcosm. You know what I'm saying? It really is. There's so many people up there from all over the country Mm -hmm. that are there for work. And um, so you really end up with an interesting mix of, uh, well, political affiliations and cultural differences. And that's that kind Every of thing. Every and the whole thing. Yeah, I can yeah. only imagine it's. But I was, we were laughing this week because she's um, she lives in a, in, a, in a sweet little neighborhood with a lot of families. Uh, she and her husband don't have any kids, but they um, they love this neighborhood. And the, the neighborhood has a very, um, shall we say, active homeowners association. 
<laughs> do you know what I mean when I when I say yes, it that? Yes, I do. Yes. Okay, so they are very active, and uh, primarily they're also very active on Facebook. So the neighborhood has its official Facebook page. It's a very large development, yes. right? A lot of what you might call—I don't guess they really use the term yuppies anymore—but you know what I mean. <laughs> I know Young what you mean. Yep. urban professionals, yep. some small children, some older retirees too, and and I do think we, my daughter and I, both come to the conclusion that there are some people in our neighborhood that just well they've got a lot of time on their hands <laughs> that they, seems to go with almost any hoa though doesn't it it does there's always those few people that it's like do you do anything yeah. other than this <laughs> right this but, isn't supposed to be a full-time gig <laughs> this is very true what else do you do with your day but here's the difference up there there's some cultural differences like if you're from the south i don't know what you think about about raccoons and things of that nature that might be you know that inhabit your your yard or yeah. live in your area but it's here in the south we don't think a whole lot about Things like raccoons and possums and, uh, you know. You I hope I, they don't get into your stuff. And, you don't want them in your house, right? Yeah. But, but, but you're not going to flip out if you see one on the side of the road. No. Or, okay. Not so much up there. Oh, really? So apparently there is a roving band of raccoons in her neighborhood. <laughs> They've been a get, roving band. Oh, I think it's a teenage <laughs> gang of raccoons. Okay. So at first when she told me about it, I, I said, you're kidding me. She says, no, no, mom. It has stirred quite a bit of controversy in the neighborhood. Oh so goodness. apparently they're getting into trash cans, right? They're, yeah. they're knocking over things. They're causing all kinds of mayhem. Down here in the South, I know at least my husband told me this, um, you know, Southern people have a way of handling those situations. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> we have a way of taking care of the problem. Yes. Okay. So it doesn't come back. So it doesn't come back, you know. I, but let's just say that in her neighborhood, maybe there are just a few more, I don't know, you know, wildlife lovers, which okay. of course we're all lot wildlife lovers to some extent, but apparently there, there would be none of that up there. Okay. Everything has to be done very humanely and appropriately. Yes. And um, there actually seems to be some, uh, some effort on the part of some of the residents to sort of get inside the raccoon's head. You know what I'm saying? What's, really? what, yeah, what's up with them? You know, why are they here? Those poor things, you know, they're, that kind of thing. They're raccoons. I know. And they want food. Yeah. And you have food in your trash can. I know. That's so, pretty much it. <laughs> well, there's been conversation about hiring, you know, spending thousands of dollars to hire trappers to come into the neighborhood and trap the raccoons and take them out, you know. And of course, you know, her, my daughter's husband, who's from the South, he's like, he's just laughing. He thinks this is hilarious. Yeah. Right. And then others are, are really overreacting and they're saying, no, this is a savage group of beasts. Right. So, but apparently the raccoons have started attacking people. So oh, there's my been goodness. A, been a couple of instances where they've jumped out of bushes onto a woman. She got her arm all scratched up. Oh, wow. Okay, so, then so that it's a becomes, little scary. Yes, it does become an issue it's at that point. It's a little point. scary. Absolutely. But it seems that most of the residents fall into one of two camps, either those that are terrified of the raccoons and think that drastic action needs to be taken, <laughs> right? <laughs> Call in the National Guard. Oh, my gosh. And then the other half of the people are those that are making fun of the people that think that drastic <laughs> action needs to be taken. I would probably be part of that group. Because <laughs> you're, you're a good Southern boy. Something tells me you'd have a way of taking care of those raccoons yeah. in quick, mm-hmm. <laughs> quick time. <laughs> anyway, so that's life, I guess, up north. <laughs> a little Goodness different gracious. down here. But, you know, we were talking about fall. And I was going to tell you one of my theories behind fall and the why, the reason, really, that Southerners just adore it the way we do. I think it has to do with the fact that we suffer the heat more than others do yeah. throughout the country. You know, for us, you know, the autumn is, is sweet relief. You know, it it's, been, it's been a long, hot summer. It has been pretty miserable. It has. Times. So it's, we have a greater appreciation for it. I started this week by whipping up one of my favorite autumn dishes. Uh, I mentioned that I was going to talk about this, my creamy autumn pumpkin soup. Mm. Hello. It looks like fall. It tastes like fall. 
It's autumn in a bowl. This is what my friend uh, Beatrice Hamilton from Florence, South Carolina had to say. This was her theory about soup, right? She said, I have a theory about soup and its ability to soothe us body and soul. First of all, good soup is nothing short of creamy liquid comfort in a bowl. I could eat it every day and often do, especially on the days when I'm feeling grumpier than usual. Secondly, soup forces us to slow down. Think of it. No one can successfully rush while eating soup. If you do, you will spill it on your shirt. Eating soup is a deliberate act that requires a spoon and some degree of focus and calmness. It requires a more relaxed attitude than, say, gulping down a sandwich. I guess you could say that soup is the elixir of tranquility. I may be overstating it a bit, but then again, I'm biased when it comes to soup. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's very eloquently put, though. I mean, honestly. Well, listen, guys, I am going to post this recipe on our website today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, though, because I just think when you you listen to it, you're going to realize how delicious and wonderful it is, and you're going to want to rush out and make it this week for your family. You're going to end up sautéing some yellow bell peppers, some chopped carrots, chopped onions, some garlic, in a little olive oil. Get it nice and soft. You see what I'm saying? You want to get it kind of where the onions are a little bit translucent. Okay, get it soft and tender, tender. Then you're going to stir in some garlic, a little paprika, some chicken broth and bring it all to a boil. You want to cover and reduce that down about 20 minutes. And then believe it or not, you're going to take the whole shebang and you're going to pop it right into the blender and puree it. Oh. It is going to be nice and creamy. You're going to get rid of all the chunks, yeah. right? And then pour that thing up. You can ladle it into bowls, garnish it with some croutons. Hello. That sounds amazing. It tastes like autumn. Wow. It's amazing. The entire detailed recipe will be on my website. Folks, all you need to do is go to southernsistershome.com, click on the blog, and there's the recipe. Guess what else we're doing today? What else are we doing? We're giving away some cookbooks. Oh, Oh, giveaways. We're giving them away. You don't even have to do anything to get them. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're going to be talking about that in the next segment, as well as Oktoberfest. Yes. It's October, so we got to talk about Oktoberfest. Of course. And we'll be right back. to the Southern Sisters radio program. I'm kind of rocking in my chair back and forth to this music. This is the good old, this is the good stuff. Is it really? Yeah. I, I love this our, kind of music. It I wonder sounds if our weird, listeners would agree with you. It's kind of weird because it's it, folky and it it's is. got all that, like the, I don't know, is, is that bag, uh, bagpipes? It, it, there's a lot of brass something? in there. Yeah. I'm not sure. Trombone. Definitely hear that. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, this is just, this is just totally what it is for Oktoberfest. Well, it it's, is. It's, Folks, it fits if you, if you, the mold. Yeah. Doesn't it, though? Yes. It's appropriate. Makes yeah. me want to eat a wiener schnitzel and then have a big old <laughs> German beer. Well, yes, of course, folks, if you can't tell by the music, that is our official Oktoberfest music for this segment. We're going to be talking about Oktoberfest because it is indeed October. Yes, it is. Mm. Ah. Once again, as with most great festivals and holidays, it's all about the food. <laughs> well, maybe it's not entirely about the food, but, but, but it's, it's about, about the beer. It's but the food the makes the beer. It does. It's been, you know, they go hand in hand. Very true. You know, like fine wine and cheese. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A knockwurst and a a German lager. Yep. Hello. Yeah. It's perfect, isn't it? Is. it? Well, guys, guys, it is Oktoberfest, and that's what we're talking about. You know, I had um, this past week date night with my husband, mm-hmm. and we did it on a Wednesday night, which is unusual. It's usually a Friday, Saturday night thing for us, but it was a midweek hump. We just kind of wanted to go out, and mm-hmm. we went to our favorite local establishment, a little place called Unwind, Unwind and Tap. They serve a lot of tapas and mm. amazing wine, but they were doing Oktoberfest food when we were there Wednesday Ooh. night. 
So I, I was kind of not even expecting it. <laughs> it's like one of those things where you sit down and they bring you the specials and you just go, oh, yes, <laughs> bring it to me now, you know? Yes. So they had a whole Oktoberfest platter with various German sausages, an amazing mm-hmm. warm German potato salad, which was a little different than what I've had in the past. It was like roasted potatoes, but they did that classic sort of um, bake, warm bacon vinaigrette dressing, Ooh. and that was drizzled over the potatoes, some pumpernickel bread, all that amazing kind of sweet, sour, red cabbage, crowdy, yeah. you know, oh, I just loved it. Oh, that sounds good. But you what know, is the, it called again? It, it was called Unwind and Tap. It's Unwind one of my, and Tap. Yes, it's uh, it's. I like tapas because you can eat a lot of different things. You know okay. what I'm saying? Yeah. It's kind of like culinary polygamy. <laughs> That's one way to put it, Jenny. Absolutely. <laughs> not to be weird, but you know, you're not married to just one dish. No, yeah, you know you're what right, I'm saying? Right, you, yeah. you order one dish, and then you, you're committed to the whole platter, of yeah, whatever it is exactly. you've ordered. This way you get to sample different yeah. things, which I think is great. Well, and guys, in case you're wondering a little bit more about Oktoberfest, you might, you might already know, of course, that it is the world's largest beer festival. Do you know where it's from, though? It is actually held annually. In Munich, Germany, it is a 16-day festival over there, and it runs a little bit earlier in the year than we celebrate it here in the States. They usually start it around mid-September, and it goes through about the first week in October. But believe it or not, as many as 6 million people per year visit Munich for the official German Oktoberfest. That's crazy. And it's an important part of Bavarian culture, too. Now, where did it all begin? Because, you know, I'm always interested in where mm-hmm. things began. Well, it began back in 1810. It was a marriage celebration, is really? what it was. Indeed. So the crown prince Ludwig, who later became King, King Ludwig in Germany, married Princess Teresa of Saxe. Okay, I'm going to try and pronounce this. <laughs> Hild, Hildberg, Hildberghausen. Let's Close ju- enough. Let's just call her Teresa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they got married, right? And to celebrate the event, the citizens of Munich were invited to a festival held on the fields in front of the city gates. Now, horse racing was a big part of the original festival and continued to be a big part of October Thrust in Munich till about the 1960s. And mm-hmm. then they kind of let that go. I guess the beer thing kind of took over. <laughs> but over time, the festival evolved into more of a a public festival, right? And beer has always been a big part of the celebration. A lot of beer, beer. right? (laughs) Today, more than 6 million people attend Oktoberfest and consume more than 7 million liters of Oktoberfest beer. Wow. That's a lot of beer. That's a lot. (laughs) That's that's, that's more than consumed at probably any SEC football game here in the South. I I might rival it. (laughs) Depends on where you you went to school. (laughs) But guys, in uh, in Munich, the beer is specially brewed for Oktoberfest. So they have their own special brew. Right, This is a very big deal. Okay. When they tap that first keg, it's it's a big pronouncement. It's, it's, It's a ceremonial kind of thing. Like here it goes. Here it goes. We're, we're tapping it, it off. Mm. It's awesome. slightly stronger alcohol content than we have here in this country. Okay, that That's, may explain why everybody's having such yeah, a good time. Yeah, yeah. I know their regulations are a little bit more lax on yeah. that too. That's why. Yeah, right. <laughs> they can they can make it a little stronger. They can they can ramp it up just a little bit for the party goers. <laughs> yes. Now eight thousand participate in the the official Oktoberfest parade, which kicks off the festival and dressing in, you know, sort of traditional Bavarian clothes. That's a big part mm-hmm. of the celebration. So you see the guys in the, the Lederhosen, you Lederhosen, know, yes, right? that's what it's called. The little shorts, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking you got to have had a few beers to appreciate that outfit. <laughs> I'm teasing. 
Didn't mean that. Uh, there are beer tents, singing, dancing, just general merriment. Lots of traditional Bavarian folk music, very mm-hmm. similar to what we played just a minute ago. Uh, but as with any good keg party, it cannot be contained. So today, there are Oktoberfest celebrations all over the world. And of I have course. To, you know, everywhere, every country. And we love them here in the U.S. Well, I guess we love beer and food in the U.S. Maybe that's why it's done so well. But Hand in hand. Hand in hand. And pretty much every state or uh, has at least one Oktoberfest celebration, right? They draw thousands of visitors. Um, you know, some last a day, a one-day festival. Some go on for weeks. Um, some of the bigger ones here in the South are Virginia, North Carolina, West Virginia, Florida, South Carolina, and Georgia all have massive Oktoberfest celebrations. In fact, in Georgia, Helen, Georgia is actually one of the largest and the longest running in history. And here in the South, yep. they have their fest hall where everybody hangs out and listens to German bands and, and dances and eats and just has a general merriment. Yes. And like you said, you know, it overflowing up there in that festival hall they have in Helen. Yeah. They can fit about three or 4,000 people in that building, but they've got 20, 30,000 in the whole streets of the whole town. Isn't it incredible? Full of people and the music and the music is going. It is fun. I'm taking you, you've, you've graced that, uh, yes, that town. I you've you've indulged. Uh, yes. Yes. Parked, <laughs> parked away out and walked a long way in well, and, and then, Stumbled a long way to the hotel. <laughs> oh, you know, I haven't been, haven't been in years. I do remember going once though with my family and taking my son, and mm. uh, I, I persuaded him to get up on the dance floor and do the polka. <laughs> it was it was him and him and about That's twelve awesome. other. Uh, Older ladies, shall we say. <laughs> and uh, he was a good sport, and we all had a great time. Yeah. And, of course, we ate some great food. Oh, yes. Now, you know, one of my favorite German uh, Oktoberfest dishes, and I had it actually at the restaurant the other night, uh, is a really good German beer cheese soup. Oh, yes. It was. I took I took my first little sip of the soup at, at dinner the other night. It was one of those things where you just feel it from your head to your toes. Mm. All over delicious. It was amazing. And folks, I have come up with a really easy 30-minute German beer cheese soup for you. We're going to talk about it. I'm certainly going to post the recipe on the website, southernsistershome.com. Check out the blog. This is worth the effort. And it's really minimal effort. This yeah, is not 30 a, minutes is not a lot. No, this is, this is nothing. What you're going to need, guys, to whip up this little dish is about four tablespoons of unsalted butter, one carrot finely chopped, a large yellow onion. You know that Vidalias are still in the stores? I saw really? this week. Oh, my goodness. Massive, big old. Yeah. Wow. And some, and they have just their general sweet onions, which I swear are bigger than, than a softball. The ones I bought last week were massive. Oh, my gosh. Mm. I guess it's that late season crop or something, it maybe? It is. They're particularly sweet. They're wonderful. Uh, two cloves of peeled garlic, folks. About a fourth of a cup of all-purpose flour. A cup of milk. A cup of half and half. 16 ounces of beer. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Beer of your choice. You gotta have that. You gotta have it, right? <laughs> a tablespoon of Dijon or some kind of stone ground mustard, 10 ounces of sharp cheddar cheese shred and a little salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the stuff you probably already have in the house, yeah. right? I think I have most everything here already in the house. I say you won't have to do much of a grocery no. list to go get ready for this one. Nothing to it. You're going to melt the butter in a large pot over medium heat. You're going to add those chopped carrots and onions and garlic and saute it for about... Oh, about 10 minutes or so till just slightly soft, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to add the flour and stir well. Now, you want to cook it frequently for about three minutes until the uh, stirring frequently until the flour turns sort of a golden brown. This is always important, folks, when you're adding flour to thicken anything. You want to cook it well to kind of get rid of that floury taste, right? You're going to combine the milk and the half and half and slowly pour that into the flour mixture, whisking it constantly as you're going, right? Then turn up the heat just a little bit to about medium high. 
add the beer and the mustard, bring it to a slow boil, whisking frequently, okay? And you're going to simmer it on low heat for about 10 minutes until it's nice and thick. Mm -hmm. Now, you're going to remove it from the heat, and that's when you're going to whisk in your cheese, okay? Whisk whisk in that sharp cheddar shredded cheese, right? Just kind of do a handful at a time. And then you're going to taste and taste it to salt and pepper it. As with anything, guys, you know, salt and pepper it, give it a taste. Salt mm-hmm. and pepper, give it a taste. All right. Don't overdo it on that. Uh, you may need less. Uh, some cheeses are saltier than others. Very true. Very, very, very true. true. But uh, oh my goodness. Now, what I would do with this then is I would ladle it up into some bowls. I would maybe do a little, uh, maybe a little dollop of, uh, you can do a little dollop of sour cream mm-hmm. or cream fresh. Yes. Uh, maybe a little sprinkling of some smoked paprika on top. Ooh, how about that? Yeah. And how about some nice, big, chunky uh, croutons on top? Oh, that just makes it, adds that Hello. texture. Right. Oh, yes. It's just beautiful. Absolutely. Once again, autumn in a bowl. Guys, I am loving this dish. Go home and make this. Make this for the people that you love. Perfect for a fall night out on the porch. Well, and if they don't love you, they will after you make this for them. <laughs> yeah. 30-minute mm, German beer and cheese soup. And we've got more. We're talking, well, we're talking German sausages next. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, folks. Yeah, I'm rocking back and forth. We really do need a pint here, Nick. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you need some leader husband. <laughs> I don't know about that one, Jenny. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yes, folks. Oktoberfest, it's that time of year. And if you're not planning to visit an Oktoberfest celebration, you know what you can do? Make you can, it at your house. You can have it at home. Yeah. Heck yeah, you can. It's not as hard as you think. And it may be a little different than you actually thought. You know, you can go all out and do all sorts of traditional German dishes, or you can just, you know, make it simple. Do the German sausages. I'm, I'm going to give you some ideas here for how you can have your own little sort of Oktoberfest celebration at home. We're going to talk a little bit about what Oktoberfest is truly like, the traditional Oktoberfest, some of the types of things that they eat and enjoy in Germany, um, the more authentic side of things. Yes. If, if you, if, you know, and believe it or not, people don't realize that roast chicken is one of the most popular dishes at Oktoberfest. Yeah, that was something uh, in interesting Munich. that I had learned before is they, right. they you you always hear about the sausages and everything else, but they're about the chicken. They love yeah. the chicken. Yeah, kind of like we do here in the South. And they like it crispy, too. So during Oktoberfest, guys, chickens are sort of spit roasted until they're golden uh, brown. The skin is golden and crispy. And uh, whereas you know, most of us don't really necessarily have a rotisserie set up at home, <laughs> you want to <laughs> pick one up from Publix? I won't tell. <laughs> you can have your own little little uh, chicken Oktoberfest okay. at home. It'll be okay. <laughs> Any sort of yummy crispy chicken. You know, one of my favorite recipes that I do that's just a simple weeknight easy thing are my crispy chicken thighs. I just season mm. them up with a little butter, lots of salt and pepper and some seasonings, and I kind of roast them at a high temperature, yeah. about 375. Mm-hmm. Crisp them up really good. Ooh. It's simple. It's savory. There you go. That's an option yeah. for you if you don't want to have to, you know, put them over a spit, right? <laughs> How about roast pork? Okay, that's another really popular dish for Oktoberfest goers. The Schweinenbraten, I believe it's pronounced. Schweinenbraten? I do, do forgive my German pronunciation. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'm not, not, that, not that good at it. But this is a classic Bavarian dish. I've had it before at German restaurants, and it can be made with a variety of pork cuts. Um, it's traditionally um, like pork shoulder or loin. Um, it's roasted with dark beer and mm. onions. Okay, so I think anything roasted with dark beer and onions has got to be good. Oh, yeah. It right? just adds that 
that kind of, what is the word, the edamame, I yeah. think, right? It just adds that kind of to it a little bit. Adds oh. a little something, oh. something, something, something to it. Yeah. Guys, I'm going to post a wonderful pork tenderloin dish that's smothered in onions and mustard that would be a great Oktoberfest mm-hmm. uh, dish. And I'm going to have that posted, a link to that on my website also. Um, how about grilled fish on a stick? Really? Now, we talked about a lot of state fair food last week. Uh, you know, we, we talked about lots of different things on <laughs> sticks. We never at any point, I don't think, talked about grilled fish no. on a stick. Yeah. Now, some of the Germans are known to have actually put sardines on a stick and roasted them. Hmm. I've never thought about that. Yeah. It, it doesn't sound terrible. Usually I, when you cook fish, though, it gets kind of flaky. Would it, I know. it fall off of the stick? You would think. Yeah, this one I haven't tried. Huh. We'll move right along. Yeah. <laughs> How about, let's talk about the sausages because, hello, right? That is the classic German, well, at least in this country, that's what we think of when we think yeah. of the German the German sausages. And, you know, we even talked about the Germans that had settled in Texas Remember, we were talking about the history of the corn dog and how mm-hmm. they had brought their sausages over and settled in. Somehow, along the along the line, the German sausage morphed into the uh, the corn dog, uh, which I'm a big fan of. But definitely, the uh, the sausages are called wursts, mm-hmm. right? Worst, excuse me. That's that's plural. Worst. You don't have two worsts. You have two worst. Yes. You, you see what I'm saying? Yes. Now, and you know what? There are lots of different types of worsts out there. <laughs> Uh, as many as 1,200. Can you believe that? Wow. That's a lot of sausages, right? A lot of different varieties. And many times what sets them apart is the region of Germany that they're from, hmm. right? In other words, different so- spices and different combinations of meats, different ways of preparing it. Hmm. Um, kind of like you have different wines in different regions. You yeah. can have different sausages as well. But since we don't have time to cover all 1,200 <laughs> varieties of sausages on the Southern Sisters show today, we're going to pare, uh, pare it down to about four or five. Maybe six. Okay. okay. So I'm going to give you <clears throat> the best of the worst. The best. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. I need one of those little <laughs> sound yeah. effects. Why don't we have that? We need. We definitely need one. Because I, I tell so many jokes. So anyway, guys, let's start out with some that are well known here in this country that we love. And I know I've eaten, I think, all of these at one time or another. The knockwurst. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, we know the knockwurst are short, thick wursts. They're made of beef and pork. And they're highly seasoned with garlic. And they have a very thick casing on them. All right. So they were originally intended and designed to be eaten out of hand. So I guess really? you just walked around with a knockwurst in your hand, just eating a knockwurst. It'd be hot. You would think. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to let it cool off first. The knockwurst, roughly translated, means cracking sausage. And this is really quite accurate in description because the thick casing does indeed crack mm. when you bite into it. It's almost yes. got that pop, yes. you know, and some people love that. It's so satisfying. It's, it's part of the part of the experience, mm-hmm. the worst experience, right? <laughs> what about bratwurst? This is one of my favorites. Absolutely. Classic. Classic bratwurst. What most people think of when you say worst, they think of a bratwurst. A brat. Yes. Yeah, we're going to throw some brats on the grill, mm-hmm. right? We'll be having some of these this week at my house for sure. Um, there are many forms of bratwurst, however. It's not just one kind, and they're available throughout Germany and really the world. Um, they range in color from light, we've seen the light-colored ones, to dark, and they can be large or small. Now, it's difficult to pin down really a good definition of a bratwurst, so we really have to kind of speak generally here. So bratwurst is made of finely chopped pork that's been highly spiced with a variety of different spices. Could be nutmeg, coriander, cardamom, celery seeds, a little ginger, Really, any any variation of spices mm. is good. Um, bratwurst, roughly translated, means finely chopped sausage. And so it's got a, you know, if you compare it to other sausages, it's got a very fine kind of smooth texture because yes. the meat is ground so yes, finely. It it's a personal favorite of mine. you got to have it for Oktoberfest, yeah. guys. What about liverwurst? 
Liverwurst. Mm, that's yeah. one that most people aren't a huge fan I of, know. though. That's right. It depends on your age. True. See? Okay. True. So you're young, <laughs> which is why you don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> but if you speak to somebody my age or older, uh, very often they're going to say, oh, we love it. If they're from up north, they love liverwurst. So I didn't say I didn't like liverwurst. Mm. I just said that most people that I know don't like it. Yeah. I love liverwurst. Well, yeah, and any worst really? is the best. You do? Really? <laughs> well, you know, liverwurst is uh, it's highly seasoned and it's spreadable, right? You can actually take it and spread it onto a mm-hmm. slice of bread, right? It's cooked sausage made from pork and it's got at least, to be liverwurst, it's got to have at least 30% liver. Okay, so there is there is indeed liver in the liverwurst. It's great on a sandwich, like, you know, like a thick slab of liverwurst on pumpernickel bread with mm. onions, right? That's a very German. Yes, very, it is. Very, very German. <laughs> what about Bockwurst? That's B-O-C-K-W-U-R-S-T, Bockwurst. Hmm. I don't now, know if I've ever heard of that. Mm, there's a very special purpose behind this sausage. Okay. It is made for beer. Okay, so it's a smoked wurst, and it's most often made of veal and flavored with white pepper and paprika. And these are usually cooked by poaching them, and very often they will poach them in beer. Beer. Oh, yes, right? So um, although they can also be grilled, they're also very, very good grilled. They go particularly well with German-style Bach, and of course Bach is a strong lager, Mm -hmm. uh, hence the name. Right? Oh, I feel like I've been cheated. I've never heard of this before. Really? This is one that has to go you, with it. You need to find yourself a good German bakery. That's true. If you are anywhere in the Atlanta area, folks, Patak, oh yes. I've P- heard of Patak it. Patak Meats. Okay. Amazing. And this huh. time of year, you would do you would do you'd be very smart to pay them a visit. Okay. They're gonna have all of these sorts of wonderful worsts, right? <laughs> They'll have the best of the worst. <laughs> well now you know this one, I'm sure. Uh, you know about the the humble Frankfurter. Of course. Frankfurter. Now this wor- this worst is more commonly known to Americans as the hot dog, hot dog, right? So as with many things worst, there is a lot of debate about the name of the worst in the original hot dog. Now the Frankfurter, strictly speaking, can only be a Frankfurter if it was made in Frankfurt, Germany. That makes sense. All other Frankfurters are imposters, Nick. They, they fake can't. Franks. They, they're, they're fake Franks. <laughs> <laughs> Frankfurters are lightly spiced mixtures of very finely ground beef and or pork. It could be combination or either or. And they're generally sold, you know, fully cooked. All they really need to be is reheated. Yeah, mostly. You know what I'm saying? How about a Weisswurst? A Weisswurst? W e or a Weisswurst. If I was I a think, true yeah, German, I would vi- say it with yeah. the V. When I had the Weisswurst. <laughs> now, this is a delicate white wurst made of veal and pork with cream. So they mix some cream into it. White pepper, ginger, and lemon. Ooh. Now, this is the traditional and official Oktoberfest wurst. That Very sounds thick. like, generally, when you think of a broad or a worst, it's, you know, kind of heavy, a big, young. Right. That sounds something a little bit more delicate. Might be a little more delicate. Yeah. We're appealing oh. to the delicate side. Hey. Anyway, That's it's fun. the traditional Oktoberfest wurst, very tasty, served with beer. Anything we've mentioned today is very tasty. Now, how do you think you should cook your worst? What's the best way to cook your worst? <laughs> I'm going to beat that one. <laughs> well, there are many ways to cook worst. Steaming, you can grill them, pan fry them, you can poach them, or you can do a combination of poaching and grilling. How about that? Mm. Now, when you're cooking whole links, it's best to use gentle heat so the interior cooks all the way through. No matter, how, no matter how you choose to cook your worst, you'll always, folks, remember this, you'll want to prick them with a little small knife or a fork or something first so that the worst doesn't burst out of the casing during the cooking, yes. right? 
So anyway, you've seen even even uh, probably on TV commercials. I know I've seen this. You see the the uh, the worst in like a beer bath. Yes, it's a very common way thing Ooh. to do is to to poach them in that so good, good dark German beer. So Hello. Yes. Oh well, if you're not hungry now, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> I may not be here for the last segment, Jim. <laughs> go get ourselves some, go verst. Get some worst. Where's the best place to get a worst? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I gotta let that go. We got more fun things coming up, guys. We will be back in just a few minutes. Southern Sisters Radio Show. Now, with your Southern narrative, sharing stories from around the South, here is your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Monroeville After Harper Lee, Part 2. Story by Jennifer Cornegay. Harper Lee most certainly was not a recluse. Pat Nettles, a Monroeville resident and a volunteer at the Courthouse Museum, said she was private and she did not suffer fools. She was never rude, but she could be curt, and I don't blame her for that at all. Anderson prefers to call her friend discriminating when referring to her desire to be left alone. According to Flint, Nell simply tired of being Harper Lee all the time. And when many in Monroeville acknowledged and deferred to her wish for privacy, those who did not made things difficult. When my wife and I would visit and take her out to eat in Monroeville, there were always interruptions. Everyone wanted to see her. There was always somebody coming up and saying, Oh, Miss Lee, my mother was with you at Monroe County High School, or some such thing, he said. Even these trespassers seemed aware that they dare not mention the book. Of course, since Nell couldn't hear very well by the time she had moved to Monroeville, that was always an embarrassment to her. She couldn't figure out who they were talking about. She finally decided she no longer wanted to go out much. But she was not shy, not an introvert. She was private. That is the right word, Flint said. It's not a word our current culture appreciates or even fully grasps, which is why Lee was sometimes misread and misrepresented, especially by national and international media, and especially in the last few years of her life. Exposing is such a part of our culture today, Flint said. Something that some of the media never got was that in a world of celebrity, where marketing is all about exposing yourself, the idea that there could be someone who not only would not play the role of celebrity, but actually despised the role of celebrity, was so foreign that they assumed something was wrong with her. She must be senile. She must be being taken advantage of. Flint believes this inability to understand Leaves' private nature was the foundation for the conspiracy theories surrounding Go Set a Watchman. Within days of the announcement it would be published, rumors swirled that Lee had never intended for the book to see the light of day, that its publication was a ploy of her greedy lawyer, that Lee's big sister Alice never would have allowed it if she was still alive. And those rumors were being published in news outlets around the world. An anonymous tip charged elder abuse, most likely from someone in Monroeville, even triggered a state investigation. According to Flint and Anderson, there was no truth behind the gossip or the investigation, which, once it was concluded, found nothing amiss. Many in Monroeville who voiced concern for Lee's plight probably came by their opinions innocently. She had become profoundly deaf, 
and almost completely blind. And for those who interacted with her, but didn't know how to communicate with her, well, near the end, I basically had to stand right next to her right ear and yell, Flint said. Her condition could have looked like senility. Anderson thinks there were more intentional forces at work, too. I think a couple of folks talking about it just wanted to talk. They wanted their names in the news, she said. What Lee means to Monroeville. Aside from a few seeking their 15 minutes of fame, it's clear that Monroeville, as a collective, adores its most famous resident. A paper sign scotch-taped to the window of an insurance office on the square a few months after her death proclaimed, Monroe loves Harper Lee. The local chamber logo features a stylized mockingbird, further proof of her and her work's position of prominence in the town. How individual folks in Monroeville feel about Lee seems to depend on how they knew her, or even if they knew her at all. I think the people in Monroeville had different feelings for her based on whether she was merely a fixture to them or a person, said Anderson. While Mockingbird almost instantly made Monroeville a household name, it was decades after its publication that people began to look to Lee's and the book's popularity as a way to boost the town's prospects. The idea to make it the hub of a cultural tourism draw really came about after Vanity Fair closed down, Flint said. As a town, you have to find out what will make people come and market yourself that way. And in Monroeville, there's an amazing collection of writers and the town's pride in its writers is not misplaced or inappropriate. It all started with John Johnson, the past president of the Alabama Southern Community College located in Monroeville. He had this vision of concentrating the area's appeal, focusing it on Mockingbird, the Alabama Writers Hall of Fame, and the annual Alabama Writers Symposium held in Monroeville, Flint said. Monroeville's annual production of the stage version of To Kill a Mockingbird and the Courthouse Museum sit at the center of this vision and both have a major economic impact on the area. In the late 1980s and early 1900s, a group of Monroeville residents, including Pat Nettles, raised the millions needed to save the historic courthouse and transform it into a museum. Once the museum was established, it quickly became clear that a regular source of income was needed to keep the doors open, and the idea to put on the play popped up. In 1991, the museum premiered its production using a cast of its citizens called the Mockingbird Players, and the old courthouse grounds and its courtroom for setting and stage. It was a runaway hit and has grown in attendance every year, usually selling out all of its 12 or so of the annual performances held on weekends in the spring, drawing more than 5,000 visitors and their money to Monroeville. The names and locations written in the museum's guest book reveal travelers from spots as far flung as California, Colorado, Australia, England, Denmark, and everywhere in between. Chrissy Nettles, who married Pat's son and has lived in Monroeville for the last 11 years, has become an integral part of the play, which has become an integral piece of the town's financial puzzle. She plays Miss Maudie, and her son performs the role of Dill. To her, the play is a valuable teaching tool. I think in any small town, where it feels like everyone knows everyone, it's hard to reconcile the hospitality of your neighbors with actions or politics that are unfair or unkind, she said. The play has opened up a lot of conversations for us as a family. How and when do you get the courage to speak up for your own beliefs when you know you're going to be ostracized? She believes it opens the same doors for the thousands of visitors who come to see it. And 
that the importance of producing the play in Monroeville is far greater than the money it brings in. Maycomb isn't real, but the inspiration for it, for it lives and breathes in the fabric of Monroeville in a way that just can't exist anywhere else, she said. When you sit in that courtroom a few feet from Atticus Finch and Tom Robinson and let yourself get lost in their story, it is so easy to hope that just this once the story will turn out differently. It never does. But the hope the play sparks is hard to extinguish, and it's fitting as hope is one of the book's lasting themes. The community makes Herculean efforts to produce, largely with volunteers, the play, which they do so well, and to host the Writers' Symposium. And I am proud of the book and the people and the town for those efforts, Blunt said. Hope is the engine that drives those efforts, the hope of a bright future, and Monroeville has pinned that hope on Harper Lee. Pat Nettles pointed to aspects of Monroeville's heritage apart from Lee that deserve preservation and exploration. We have such tremendous history with the old Federal Road, the river, the other communities in the county. So there's more to us than Harper Lee, she said. But it all hinges on Lee. She definitely is the main draw, bringing an estimated 30,000 visitors, including the playgoers, a year to Monroeville. As Flint noted, the town and area have produced other accomplished writers, but Lee is the reason the town was designated the literary capital of Alabama. The Writers' Symposium gives out annual Harper Lee Awards. The museum contains genealogy records for the county and artifacts relating to area history, but exhibits on Lee are dominant. The playgoers from around the country and the globe don't come to Monroeville to see the show for its acting and stagecraft, although both are wonderfully done. They come because they want to witness the story unfold in its natural habitat. The Monroeville-Monroe County Chamber of Commerce declared 2016 the year of Harper Lee. We did it because the past year had been so phenomenal in terms of visitors, and that was due to Watchmen, said the Chamber's Executive Director, Sandy Smith. On what would have been Lee's 90th birthday this year, April 28th, the town unveiled a marker dedicated to Lee, a sculpture on the old courthouse grounds of three children reading a book. She did a lot for this town, starting with putting us on the map, she said. I think she got impatient with the town from time to time, but her works were gifts to the town. We'll always be thankful. It's no surprise considering her job title, but Smith also pointed to the economic impact Lee and her works have had, one that has steadfastly gotten bigger through the years. It's enormous. The people come for the play or just to see the courthouse and museum and spend money here on gas, shopping, and food, she said. It really escalated when she moved here permanently. Her presence really drew people here. Everyone wanted to see her, and they looked for her. But they couldn't find her. Smith, like many residences, went out of her way to guard Lee's privacy. We were all so proud of her. The whole town tried to protect her. We never told anyone where she was. When we saw her, we'd speak. And she was always pleasant, but we did not ask her about the book. Pat Nettles wonders if Lee was aware of their attempts to buffer any intrusion. Visitors to the museum have always asked about her, where she was, but we never told, she said. We all, the entire town, helped her maintain her privacy the best we could. I think she knew that. I hope she did. I remember my mother-in-law saying, how strange must it be for her? Everyone thinks they know her. 
It's like we've claimed her and feel some right to an accounting of everything she thinks or does. Some of the talk about her sounds like she's an entity, not a person. But she's really just a girl from Alabama. Nell was just a girl from Alabama. Harper Lee became an icon. And while Nell is gone, Harper Lee will live on. She cemented her place in the cultural consciousness of the world, in the literary legacy of Alabama, and in the history of one tiny country town. And because of that, Monroeville, what it was, what it is, and what she imagined and hoped that it would be, will live on too. Well, folks, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Southern Sisters radio program. We have three copies of my latest cookbook, Seasons in the South, to give away. They contain that wonderful roasted autumn soup that we talked about today. Just shoot me an email, radio at southernsistershome.com. That's all you have to do. And also check out our, our website. All the good recipes we talked about today, including that yummy German beer cheese soup that Nick is just dying for, mm-hmm. are going to be on our blog. So just go to southernsistershome.com and We'll see you next week. 